Good morning, everyone. So good to see all your shining, happy faces this Sunday morning. So when I was a kid, every night before bed, my mom would read my brother and I a book. Now, this wasn't just any ordinary book. This book had everything. It had sword fighting. It had monsters. It had dragons. It had romance. It had everything, and I loved it. To this day, it's still one of my favorite series of all time, and that book is The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Incredible series. If you were ever around for Chris Shewitt, his preaching, like every other sermon had a Lord of the Rings reference, so I had to bring it back full circle. But Lord of the Rings, I loved it. There was so much to it, and the way J.R.R. Tolkien wrote it, it just, it helped you to really get into the story. You felt like you were a part of that world. And one of the things I think he did best was characters. The way that he built the characters, the way it it felt like you knew them. It felt like you could see them as you were listening to the words. And one of those characters I always found so fascinating had really, it was a devastating story. It started off that you have this guy that was a hobbit. He was on a lake. He looks down in the water and he sees this beautiful ring. So he takes it. This hobbit's name was Smeagol. And as he he looked at this ring, he realized how much he loved it. It became his treasure. It became his ultimate possession, the thing he cared about the most in the whole world until the point where it took over. It took over his whole life and it turned him into this dark, twisted creature that was hunched over and that ring became his precious. It was the one thing that he cared about more than anything, and it drove him mad. It destroyed him. What he was treasuring was wrong. And how he was treasuring it would end up leading him to a fiery grave. Even though it might seem like an extreme example of things that are treasured, I think that all of us in here this morning can put the same passion into what we treasure. But if we're making the incorrect things our treasure, it can lead us to ruin. And then the the question is asked, how are we treasuring those things in our life? So this morning, there's a couple diagnostic questions that I want us to ask as we go through the sermon that might be able to help us discover what it is we ourselves are treasuring. Number one is, what do you think about the most? What are the things in your life that you put the most stock in, that you think about the most? Even your bank account, what are the things that you spend the most money on? What does your calendar look like? Where are you spending the majority of your time? So these questions throughout our time in Luke this morning are going to help us know, again, where it is that our treasure lies. And if it lies in the proper place, we'll be able to see it through this passage. This part of Luke has been really convicting for me. It's been convicting because as I've been processing it, I've come to the conclusion that in my life, it can be really easy for me to treasure things and have my treasure in the wrong places. 
It's easy for me to have my priorities mixed up. It's easy to fall into the temptation of making the things of the world my treasure like Gollum did with the ring. Losing sight of the only one that I should be treasuring. Sometimes it can be CrossFit. Physical fitness can be a precious in my life where I spend so much time thinking about it and obsessing about it that that becomes my treasure. That's the thing I'm focusing on. Sometimes it can even be just comfort. I want to be comfortable. And in that comfort, it can sometimes take a hold and be the thing that I want the most. I think there's probably a hundred different scenarios of things that I might be placing over the true treasure. This morning, as we continue in Luke, I want us to process together what is my treasure and how am I treasuring it? We're going to see these two main points come to the surface as we go through the text. Verse 43 and 45, what am I treasuring? In verses 46 through 49, how am I treasuring? Each section is going to help us reveal what the treasure of our heart is, what it should be, and how we should be treasuring. This morning, are, are we like Gollum? <laughs> Placing that one earthly treasure, or even several earthly treasures, over the true one. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm just so grateful for this time that we have to gather together to worship you, to sing your songs, to remember that you are our rock, you are our foundation. God, as we go through these verses, I pray that you would help reveal to us those areas that we might be treasuring over you. I pray that you would help us to realize those places in our life that might be blind spots to where our focus should be. We love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't yet, please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. As you just heard read, we're going to be starting in verse 43. Verse 43 starts with this, four. Okay, everyone stop right there. If you've heard any of my sermons in Philippians, Ephesians, any of the Pauline books, uh, you know that I love the word for. It's a great little word. I love it because it helps you ask the question, what's the for there for? Yeah, there you go. Some of you got it. That little word is important because it's Jesus' way of pointing back to everything he just shared with his disciples. So in the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus preaching a sermon to his disciples that the crowd around him was, was surely listening to. But in this sermon, Jesus is breaking down several areas in the Christian walk. That at first glance, when you first look at it, it might just seem like a bunch of morals and just a do-it-yourself guide how to live your best life now. Be good and good things are gonna to happen to you. 
But in actuality, the entire sermon is a breakdown of what the Christian life looks like. What the Christian life looks like when when it's been truly handed over and transformed by Christ. So the Beatitudes aren't just blessed are you who do this because this and then something great's going to happen to you. Be nice and you're going to get a Corvette. It's a look at the heart transformation of someone who has put their faith and trust in Christ. It brings the upside down perspective of joy and happiness when a life is submitted to the Lord. It's living your blessed life now. Uh, Sorry, I had to do that. I thought that was funny. But in sincerity, Jesus is pointing out the joy in our lives when we follow him. And it's in this life shift that someone looks differently. They talk differently. They live differently because of what Jesus did for them. This isn't a moral story on being good. And then from there, Jesus goes right into the woes. And these woes don't condemn God's good gifts, but are a warning to those who are forsaking what Jesus says. Warning those who are treasuring up worldly things over the things above. So then from the woes, Jesus moves into the crazy and difficult idea of loving your enemies. The upside down shift of loving those who hate you. In my mind, one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things Jesus asks us to do. And then after this, it continues on with not judging others that we went through last week. And as we discussed, we do this by rightly judging ourselves, seeing our sin and our brokenness in our own lives. By him, we can change the pattern by forgiving and by giving, desiring to no longer look like or live like the world. Another thing we saw that when we're walking with Jesus, desiring to live out our faith, it's not the blind leading the blind. And we see clearly because we're rightly judging others, or we're rightly judging ourselves and seeing the sin in our lives, which in turn pulls the plank out of our own eye, helping us to rightly judge others. So everything set up to this point has been an upside down view on the way the world sees these different areas. It's been an upside down view on the way we as Christians are able to live through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And in this next section, we're going to see who our treasure should be and how we should be treasuring him. So as I said at the beginning in our first section this morning, verse 43 and 45, we're thrown into a story that Jesus tells We're thrown to the story where Jesus is talking about different trees, different trees, helping us better ask the question, what are we treasuring? Leading us into 46 through 49, which is the conclusion of this sermon on the plain. Jesus bringing it all full circle, then helping us ask the question, how are we treasuring? Taking us back into this first verse with that first word, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. 
So as we just saw a moment ago, Jesus is pointing back to the sermon as a whole with the word for pointing to his next analogy. He says, because of all this, hear me, church, hear me, disciples, no good tree bears bad fruit. And a bad tree does not produce good fruit. So what does this have to do with the way we live our lives as followers of Christ, like the entirety of the sermon was? The point of these verses make it clear that there's a distinct difference between trees and fruits. It keeps going by saying, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. Good fruits are not picked out of bad trees. We can see firstly that the main difference in trees is the one that is dead and the one that is alive. Dead trees can't produce anything. If they don't have a root, there won't be fruit. Which is talking about those who are alive in Christ and those who are not. So it's taking us from this entire sermon talking about the Christian life, what it looks like to be transformed by Christ. And then Jesus is taking a full circle going, and this is what it looks like. Someone is made alive in Christ, someone that's not. I want you all to hear this, that we ourselves can never make good fruit. It's only through salvation in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, anything good can be produced in us. These fruits that we're talking about being a continued life of obedience to Christ and continued growth. Desiring to follow those things that he's commanded, even though imperfectly. In a believer's life, the fruit of obedience will grow. The fruit of looking to him more will grow. So the analogy here is breaking down the life alive in Christ and those that have not given their life to him, which in turn is a life in opposition to him. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, there will be fruit. You can't put a fresh fig on a dead tree. You can't find a healthy grape on a dead vine. Those that are alive in Christ are alive by him and through him. While the dead tree produces nothing but evil. Each tree that we're talking about comes down to the heart. A heart of stone can't produce good fruit. But a heart of flesh made alive in Christ is able to by and through the Holy Spirit. So you might be asking yourself right now, okay, I get it. When you surrender your life to Christ, you're alive. And when you don't, you're dead. But what about if, if my obedience to Jesus isn't the same one day to the next? What if it feels like there are days that my fruit is growing, I'm growing closer to him, but other days I feel just far away. It feels like my tree is just fading away. I want to encourage each of you this morning that there are seasons. If you have 
put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for you at Calvary, you are secure. Your tree is alive no matter how much you fall and fail. No matter how small your fruit may be in a certain area, you are firmly secure in him and through the gospel. But there are seasons of slower growth, right? There are seasons that feel like drought. There are all kinds of seasons. And that, my friends, is when we desire even more by the help of the Holy Spirit to have the one that made us alive continue to help us grow. only able to see him more clearly by the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the grace and mercy that the gospel provides. Did you know that sometimes good trees can produce bad fruit? In Arizona, where I'm from, there's not a whole lot of trees that produce good fruit. I mean, there's a lot of cactus and there's a lot of scorpions and whatnot, but there's not necessarily a lot of trees that produce good fruit. One of the trees, though, that produces great fruit in Phoenix is an orange tree. If you've ever been to Phoenix, you can look around and you can see all of the beautiful orange trees growing all over the place. It's not as much anymore. I've torn down a lot of them. But when I was a kid, my grandpa in his backyard in Sun City had this huge, beautiful orange tree. This orange tree always had the ripest, biggest, juiciest oranges, and you, you could go out there at any point in time and pick one, and it was just delicious. But every now and then, even on this healthy, incredible tree, there would be a bad fruit. Every now and then, this healthy tree would produce a bad fruit. And do you know what my grandpa would have to do with that bad fruit? Prune it off. Get rid of it so that more healthy fruit could be produced. This, my friends, is like our spiritual lives. Even though we're made alive, at times we lose sight of our obedience and how we should be living for Christ. We might fall, we might fail, and, our tree, and on our tree a bad fruit might emerge. And by God's grace, the Holy Spirit is the one working in us to prune away that bad fruit so that more healthy fruit might emerge in our lives. So the verses continue to break down this analogy even further, bringing us to the first main point in our sermon, what do we treasure? So we, we saw the difference between alive trees and dead trees, good fruits, bad fruits, taking us to this, verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. What do we treasure? Again, back to the idea of Gollum from the beginning. When we're treasuring the wrong thing, it can and will produce evil. When the treasure of our hearts was only focused on the ring, when his treasure and his heart was focused on the ring, destruction occurred. When the treasure of our heart is the wrong thing, it can produce destruction. But when our treasure is in what it should be, 
when it's in who it should be, good is produced. When we see Jesus as our treasure, when Jesus is our precious, the trajectory of our life shifts. There's joy and blessing when he is our treasure and not the world. There's passion for him when we remember all that he's done for us. Therefore, because of this, Jesus is the one that we treasure. When we understand the sacrifice made for us, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to produce fruit. We're empowered to focus our lives on Christ, knowing all that he's done. But again, like the bad fruit on a good tree, at times we might struggle keeping the true treasure at center. Thank God we have the gospel. The reminder that points us back. Helps us even in our failure. When we start to put this picture together, there's trees that are alive and those trees are made alive in Christ. It's the analogy. The, the good treasure of the heart, the good treasure is Jesus. It brings us back to the reason he is our treasure. We're all evil apart from him. The reason Jesus had to come to this terrible place to live out life perfectly, sacrifice his life perfectly and rise again is so we could be made alive. If we believe in what he did, he makes us alive. What an incredible truth. It's the most incredible truth. In this church, this reality that we are evil and dead, unable to produce anything aside from him, is why he is the ultimate treasure. This truth is where our joy comes from. This truth is what reminds us of why we want to obey him. Even if it's imperfect. This is why we live out the things he's asking in this sermon as a whole. Things he's sharing with the disciples and the crowd around him. And from this, from all of this, what comes out of our mouth even shifts. We know our true, tre we know our true treasure, but how do we treasure him? The verse continues on. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We as believers have this incredible truth. And when we truly acknowledge it, when we truly understand it, we can't help but overflow with praise. When we're treasuring up the world, when we lose sight of the truth, when we start to fall into the trap of looking and sounding like everyone else, what flows out of our mouth changes. So the other day I was at the gym, just doing my own thing in the corner. And one of my buddies, the owner of the gym, he was talking to another guy, training him. And he points me out and goes, hey, that's Steven. And I just wave my hands like, hey, man, go back to it. And he goes, yeah, so he was in the military. He was in the oil field and he's a pastor. So just don't mind anything that he says. I was like, what? 
what does that even mean? I don't even understand. But it took me back. It took me back for a second. It, it made me realize that even though I might not be cussing like a sailor like the guys were in the military or being nasty and gross like the guys were in the oil field, are the things coming out of my mouth flowing that Jesus is my treasure? Are the things coming out of my mouth, does it sound more like the world or is it overflowing with the gospel? Am I treasuring and putting things in the world over Jesus? Which is now in turn flowing out of my mouth. As I've said so many times already, and I think it's necessary to reiterate, we will never do this perfectly. We'll never perfectly from our mouth show that Jesus is our treasure. Never perfectly. Just like me in the gym, and I'm sure a hundred other scenarios each of us might be thinking about right now. The beautiful thing here is that even when we're made alive in Christ, even when we fail again, even when we're not living as Christ has asked us to, in this sermon, the Holy Spirit is always pruning the tree. The good tree that sometimes has bad fruit. The Holy Spirit pointing us back to the gospel that Jesus is our treasure. And from our mouth when we speak, is a way that we treasure him. Taking us to the next verse, 46. Adding to this second point, how do we treasure him? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? Why do you say I'm your Lord, but you don't live like it at all? It's not just enough to say Jesus is Lord. Genuine faith produces obedience. Obedience flows from a heart that's been forgiven. I think in our society today, there's a huge misconception about what it means to be a Christian. There's a misconception that just because you say you know God means you're saved. Just because you say, Lord, Lord, you're good to go. That really doesn't mean anything from what Jesus is saying. Now, I want you to hear this. Hear me. Salvation is not by works at all. It's a free gift. You are made alive through Christ, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. However... You claim Christ, but don't do what he asks of you at any level. Never desiring to follow his commands, never wanting to obey what he asks. How can you actually say that he's your Lord? If you have no fruit and you have no desire to follow him, do you actually have a root? Is he actually your treasure? True faith says and does. It does not say and not do. True faith says and does. It does not say and not do. James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently as natural face in a mirror. 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This helps us again ask the question, what am I treasuring and how am I treasuring? If we say we treasure Jesus, but don't act on it, how can we say that he in fact is our treasure? If we have no fruit, how can we say he's Lord? If what comes out of our mouth doesn't reflect him or overflow him at any level, are we actually his? Jesus continues on with another story to help them and us better understand the concept of truly being followers of his. Seeing that when he is our treasure, when we're following him, the truth of how we treasure him, we see that he is the firm rock, the firm foundation that holds us together in everything. Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. When we truly live our lives for Christ, as imperfectly as it might look, desiring to honor him and follow him, knowing what he's done for us, we're like a man who doesn't just dig, but digs deep, placing the foundation of his house on the rock Jesus is that rock that is implanted in us so deeply. He's our foundation. That when the trials of life come, our house doesn't blow over because he holds us up. This story points out immediately that the Christian life is not going to just be butterflies and sunshine all the time. The storms will come. And when they do, when Jesus is your treasure, when he's the one you cling to, the one that produces good fruit, the one that overflows from our hearts, you will stay standing in your faith until the end when you get to meet him face to face. We will be able to withstand the storms of trials and temptations. On the other end of the coin, you have the person that has not truly put their faith and trust in Jesus that will say, Lord, Lord, when the seas are calm, but when the storm hits, they fall apart. Their faith collapses because it was never truly founded on the true treasure. The one that says he is Lord, but does not live it out at any level. The one that that does not bear good fruit, that overflows the world. This person in the storms of life will be torn down. And not just torn down, it says that the devastation will be great. This is an extremely important point that Jesus is making. He's not just making a point, he's doing this out of love. Everything that he is sharing, he's doing out of love so we can truly examine our lives asking these questions. What is our treasure and how are we treasuring? If our treasure is Jesus, it will be reflected in some way. 
in the way we live out our lives, the direction of our life will reflect it. As imperfectly as it might be. When he's our treasure, we're not just saying, Lord, Lord. We're treasuring him by living for him. Because of the gospel, we follow. Because of the gospel, we're able to have a firm foundation. Because of the gospel, we know that our treasure is Jesus. That he is the good treasure of our hearts. So Gollum, at the beginning of our sermon today, had his treasure placed in something that would never satisfy. All it did was cause pain. The things of the world we treasure do the same. They might seem wonderful and shiny and pretty at first, but at the end of the day, the things of the world only lead to devastation. When Jesus is your treasure, you see the story flipped. There's joy. And even when the seasons shift, when we fail, he's there to hold you up. So this morning as we close, I want to ask you the same two questions that we've heard so many times. What is your treasure and how are you treasuring? If you're here today and have put your faith and trust in Christ, I pray that this would be a reminder to not be like Gollum. Finding things of the world is more precious than the one we should see as the most precious. Remember who the true treasure is that gave up everything for you. And in remembering that, how are you treasuring him? How are you living your life for him? Even in the dry seasons when the fruit seems small, know that he is there. When he might seem distant and far off, I pray this is a reminder he is near. If you're here today realizing that maybe you've not truly given your life to the Lord, that maybe the tree of your life is dead because you've not taken the leap of faith to give your life to him, I pray if this is you, that you would truly consider everything that you've heard this morning knowing that the only true treasure is the one who gave it all to rescue you. So if you leave, as you leave here today, take an inventory of the things that you think about the most. Think about the things that you spend the most time on. What you spend your money on. Discover what you truly treasure. And through that diagnostic test, I pray you would desire to ensure that Jesus is the true treasure of your life. Let's pray. God, um, thank you so much again for this passage. Thank you for your beautiful words uh, that we get to see um, just your love and your kindness through the sermon that you shared. You want us to see you clearly. You want us to, to look and acknowledge where our lives are at, where our fruit is at, so we can be closer to you, God, so that if, if we haven't given our life to you, that we can be in a right relationship with you and then grow in you. I pray you would help remind us of this. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.